Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Welcome to episode 10 of the Best Interest Podcast. My name is Jesse Kramer. It's Sunday, April 11th, and it is very rainy here in Rochester, New York. But despite the overcast outside, I am excited today. And why? Well, it's because I'm speaking with Brandon Richard Austin from Rinky Doo Finance. Brandon is a blogger and investor and quite the Twitter powerhouse. We cover a ton of topics in our conversation today, ranging from our core beliefs about personal finance to the ridiculous real estate markets occurring in the U.S. and Canada right now. Brandon is extremely insightful, not only about his own personal finances, but also when it comes to personal finance education. I've found his open-minded, questions-first approach to be a breath of fresh air in this personal finance space. So, without further ado, here's episode 10 of the Best Interest Podcast, featuring Brandon Richard Austin. All right, I'm here with Brandon Richard Austin, otherwise known as Rinky Do Finance. Brandon, how are you? Hey, Jesse, I'm doing really well. How about you? Awesome. Yeah, things are great. Things are good. It's uh, a rainy Sunday afternoon, as opposed to a rainy Sunday morning when we first tried recording. But due to a uh, a local power outage here in Rochester, our recording was thwarted. So here we are for round <laughs> two. I think we're going to do better this time. Yeah, my energy's up a bit more. Nice. nice. Too, so. Same here. Same here, actually. Very good. Well, Brandon, I was hoping we could start because um, I think some of the listeners probably haven't heard of how Rinky Do Finance or aren't familiar with your work. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your projects and kind of how personal finance and investing ties into that. Cool. Yeah, for sure. So I'm born and raised in Toronto. I've been working in digital marketing for about seven years. And so, you know, I've been writing content for a while, writing in a bunch of different niches, you know, like everything from plumbing to like air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got into personal finance about three years ago, it's sort of, and, and, and I actually got into it through a book called I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And it introduced the world of finance to me in a way that was you know, very different from what I was used to hearing. You know, I used to think of it as you know, old guys in suits talking about stocks and <laughs> yeah. um, you know pension funds and things like that. Whereas when I read that book, it it you know struck me as a relatively young person writing for other young people. And so that you know at the time I was sort of nicheless as a writer, mm-hmm. and that sort of implanted the idea in me that hey, maybe personal finance is something I can write about because. I very quickly got into investing and you know, managing money wisely. So it was just the next logical step. But I had just I was just kicking the idea around for a couple of years until um, a year ago during the pandemic, I decided, you know what, I've got a lot of free time now. Let me start blogging weekly and you know, we'll see where it goes from here. So I'm still at it a year later and having lots of fun doing it. Awesome. Oh, that is awesome. It's funny how the pandemic worked, I feel like for some people I know, for some of my coworkers, especially maybe parents, 
it turned, it was a huge burden because now, you know, the kids aren't at school and, and the grocery stores are closing. And, and so obviously, and then obviously there's the whole health issue that I, I shouldn't overlook. So for a lot of people, there is a burden, but I know for me, and it sounds like for you, there's also this aspect of it where we kind of had this free time that we weren't anticipating and it allowed us to pursue some, some interesting projects that we otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, and it was very intentional, like for me, because I knew that it was going to be an anxious period where, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't be able to do much. You wouldn't be able to connect with friends. So I said, you know what, you know, I looked at other companies that had started and other brands that started during recessions and, and rough times. And I was like, you know what, I want to be in 10 years. I want to, look back and say, you know what, Rinky-Doo Finance started during you know, one of the roughest periods of the 21st century so far, and things turned out well. That was the kind of idea when I started a year ago. Yeah, that is fantastic. Everybody loves a good Genesis story, Brandon. Yeah. It's something, I mean, if you look around, not only our space, but just just kind of look around. I was just reading where I'm, I'm about to finish Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is a book that a lot of people have read, New York Times bestseller. And I find it interesting that the way James Clear starts the story is he talks about uh, an accident that happened in his high school baseball practice where it sounds like he almost died. Yeah. Uh, it's a little scary. And, but he kind of says that his recovery from that injury, uh, he basically found that he had to put good habits to use. And that's where he learned about his, his habits. So that kind of Genesis story, especially if it involves the, I don't know if you're familiar with the hero's journey. Yeah. Yeah, like the power of myth, the hero's journey, you know, you kind of have to go into the underworld to fight your demons and then come back. Uh, not saying that you starting your blog in the <laughs> pandemic with you going into the underworld, but, but you know, hey, it makes for a good story. I, I like it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you also mentioned I will teach you to be rich, which I'll, I'll throw a link to the show notes for, for listeners if they're interested in that book. Terrific book. I've read it as well and recommend it to beginners, people who are just starting out in the personal finance and investing space. So yeah, I think uh, I, I read it and had similar feelings to what you said. I think it's a great, a great book. So I was checking out Rinky Do Finance, Brandon, and I loved your five core beliefs that you talk about on your blog. So I don't want to, well, I do want to put you on the spot, but you know, if, if they aren't in front of you, I have them written down. But I was just wondering, could you talk a little bit about those five core beliefs? Yeah, for sure. I've got them up now. Okay. Um, so the, the whole genesis of these beliefs was that, um, and why I put them on the site was that I know personal finance is intimidating for a lot of people. And I also started out with the intention of reaching an audience that, you know, sees money and capitalism as dirty. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted these values to sort of reflect a different side of it, where, you know, like a, a more human side that is compassionate and that anybody can can get into um so i'll list them off the first one is anyone can become good with money um and this originates from when i was a teenager i was terrible with money um you know i was spending everything i I was lucky in that i didn't you know take on too much debt or any any debt at any significant debt at all really um but i like money slipped through my hands like like grains of sand um, <laughs> and, you know, by the time I got into my early twenties, it was like the exact opposite. And it was because I read books, like I will teach you to be rich 
and you know just started devouring lots of of content which you know it wasn't a particularly difficult process i just needed the right information and now i'm i'm like better than the average person right at it which is a stunning transformation if you knew me you know like 10 <laughs> 10 years ago uh-huh. you would have never guessed that um, so that's that's the first value there second is that money doesn't have to be a dirty subject yes um and so you know i when i like a, a few years ago i started a twitter account that was sort of like political commentary mm-hmm. and i came into contact with a lot of people who are you know like the democratic socialist um type people and they to them anything to do with markets and investing is you know the devil's work a little yeah too too capitalistic exactly and Mm -hmm. i want with my blog to challenge that you know i want to show people that you can be socially conscious you can be aware of you know challenges that different sectors of society face yet still um invest and and still manage your money wisely Mm -hmm. and you know so that's the the second point there money doesn't have to be a dirty subject um, the third point is getting rich isn't the goal of investing, which, you know, so many people, um, they get into investing strictly because they hear stories like GameStop right. and, um, you know, AMC, they see you know, people just getting rich overnight. So they think right. everything's like that. Whereas, you know, history shown that it rarely works like that. Um, you know, the people who invest for the long haul are the ones who win. Yeah. And so, you know, I also wanted to make that part of my brand because I want people to feel comfortable when they when they read my articles, knowing that I'm not going to be recommending things that are going to lose them, you know, tons of money overnight. Like I'm not going to be hyping, you know, multi-level marketing schemes or right. trading <laughs> algorithms or right. Forex or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why that's in there. Um, Excellent. The fourth point is personal finance is about more than just money. And, you know, this goes back to personal experiences for me as well. You know, I noticed that as soon as I took control of my finances, you know, things like bad habits that I had, they Mm -hmm. sort of, I don't want to say solve themselves because it's a bit sensationalist, but they, they, it became a lot easier to address, you know, like bad habits. Right. And, um, because once you get control of money, you know, money like intersects with so many different things in life. You know, money, your sense of security and self-identity is tied to money in a lot of cases, you know, how much money you make. And so once you get a handle on that and you're confident with it, mm-hmm. so much of your life will become clearer and you'll be able to make confident decisions. Right. Just this huge, this huge potential source of anxiety kind of goes away. Exactly. It allows you to refocus on on other places where maybe your your brain ought to be focusing on other things and yeah. you no longer have to worry about this this big resource in society that we call money. Completely agree. Yeah, because think about like you know you wake up every day and to a large degree what you do revolves around money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people go to work, they have conflicts at work. Sometimes they're you know maybe afraid to speak their mind because. They might lose their job and losing their job equates to being homeless. Right. And so, you know, if you can solve that problem of money, so much of your life will 
will become easier. Um, you, right. won't, you won't be living in fear necessarily all the time. Completely agree. Yep. Yeah. And then the fifth value, the fifth and final value is that it's never too late or too early to start caring about your, your finances. Um, on the, on the you know, too early side, a lot of people think, you know, your 20s are when you're supposed to be broke and, you know, you can make poor decisions and, and it's kind of okay. Whereas, you know, yes, you can recover from mistakes you make in your 20s because you have a lot mm-hmm. of time. But at the same time, if you can get things right in your 20s, or even earlier, if you're fortunate, um, life will be so much easier because it all comes back to compound interest. You know, if you get the ball rolling in your 20s or, or early in life, it's just going to be monstrous by the time you're in your 50s and 60s. Whereas if you wait until your, your 40s, you're still going to do pretty well. You know, like um, if you... If you start in your 40s, I should say you're still going to do pretty well um, because it's never too late to start. You'll always, even if all you end up doing from the time you're 40 to um, 65 is you save $40,000, you know, yes, that's not going to buy you the nicest retirement in the world, but it's still $40,000 you wouldn't have had. Wouldn't have had, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those are my five values there. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are awesome values. And I, I feel like I could go digress about each, each individual value. Um, yeah. on, the, on the last one, the never too late or never too early, I think of the famous, I, I assume it's a, a quote attributed to someone like uh, Confucius. I feel like it's a quote as old as time that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the next best time is right now. So that's your, you know, your 40 year old who maybe wishes they had started at 20. Well, you know, the next best time is right now when you're 40. And like you said, it's not too late. Exactly. Um, So, I mean, that's a phenomenal one. I also think number two, especially stuck out to me, money doesn't have to be a dirty subject. And at least I feel like in the U.S., or at least in the social circles that I've been in most of my life, I feel like tier one is kind of uh, politics and religion as far as dirty subjects, as far as things that you don't really bring up at the party because it's going to cause potentially some bad feelings. And then right below that is money. And understandably, because, you know, as soon as one person starts saying, yeah, I bought a new Mercedes, taking the kids to the Caribbean for three weeks this summer. Yeah. You know, uh, people do start to feel bad. and, And so I'm not necessarily an advocate for, for bragging. But I do think that there, there are a ton of healthy conversations we sh- could and should be having about money that unfortunately we tend to avoid because we've kind of been raised that it's a, a bit of a taboo subject. So I like how you kind of say, no, it, it doesn't have to be a dirty subject. Exactly. Yeah. Now, we already kind of touched on that you're, you're based in Toronto, Brandon, and that made me think of two interesting, useful questions. So I'll, I'll start with the first one. Uh, so this is based on my understanding of social media and, you know, we do most of our interacting actually over Twitter. I would guess that you get a much bigger dose of American opinions than I get doses of Canadian opinions. You know, most of my Canadian opinions come from you. Um, so considering yeah. that about 95% of, of the listeners to this episode are American, or at least so far based on the stats that I see, uh, what are some things that you notice about American money culture? that you think maybe either that we take for granted or, or some things that maybe Americans assume incorrectly about the rest of the world. I just thought maybe you'd have an interesting take on that. 
Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the relationship between Canada and the U.S. Like we think about you guys all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like you guys just almost never think about Canada. Um, you know, so one, th- one thing, you know, America is a huge country in terms of population mm-hmm. and the market size, you know, like it's the, it's the biggest domestic market in the world. So there's tons of money around, there's tons of property, yep. you know, yep. only, you know, not much of Canada is, is, is inhabitable. So there's only so much land to buy. And, and I think gotcha. one thing a lot of Americans don't realize, you know, like buying a house is, is almost an essential part of the American dream. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you got to do it. And in a lot of places, houses are fairly cheap in the United States. Like, you know, one of our mutual friends, you know, he's buying house in houses in rural America for, like, you know, less than a hundred thousand dollars, right. Which you just can't find in Canada. It's right. a completely different ball game. So, you know, I, I have, now I'm not sure the, the exact breakdown. I'm not sure if there are more renters in Canada or if they're a bigger percentage than the U S um, I'm not certain on that, but I do notice in a lot of online conversations you know, to Americans, it's like buying a house is just a very basic thing you do. You know, you pay a mortgage for a few years and then you own the house forever. In Canada, like where I live in Toronto, the average house price is, is right now over a million dollars, which some people don't make that much in their entire lives. So right. it's not, it's not, you know, it's not like in the, in some parts of the U.S. where buying a house is, is just very simple and you right. can buy a nice house for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, so I think that's one big area where, you know, there's a a bit of a gap between Canada and the U S in in terms of finances. Now there's, there's also, you know, smaller things like access to products and you guys have a ton more apps like Robinhood, for example, we don't have that in Canada. So it, it, the choice is a bit more limited in terms of the products, the financial products you can use. I see. Yeah. yeah. So specific to like investing, you're saying like investing exactly. type products. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That is interesting. So I'm just out of curiosity. I mean, when you invest, who, what do you, who do you go through, I guess, for your investing, you know, American might hear of Vanguard or Fidelity, or like you said, Robinhood, what, yeah. what do you use in Canada? So to my understanding, we do have Vanguard. Um, I personally use an app called WealthSimple, okay. which it's, I want to say it's like the Canadian Robinhood, but they, they, they don't do options. They're a bit more conservative in terms of mm-hmm. um, how they approach things, but it's similar idea like free, you know, free trades. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I use something called wealth simple, but a lot of people just use, you know, like their banks brokerage, which some of these things are terrible. Like I, I used to have, um, I used to have an account that charged me like $10 per trade. So I could never, it would just never make sense for me to do like hundred dollar buys because I'd be burning 10%, 10% right already. Off the top. Yeah. And then I'd have to wait a year to, to like for the average market return to get me that money back. So yeah, it just never made sense. Um, whereas in the U S I know there are a ton of options that you can, can use. Yeah. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. And yeah, those fees, man, those investing fees can get you. And thankfully, They've been, fees have been disappearing before our eyes over the past five to 10 years. And uh, for most of you listeners, if you're paying anything more than 
we talked about it in a, a recent podcast episode. If you're paying anything more than say a tenth of a percent or a quarter percent or something like that, you might want to check if there are some cheaper options out there for you. Um, and Brandon, your first answer, it's very ironic because your first answer is a perfect segue. And it kind of even addresses the second question I had about your, your base in Toronto, which is that, um, so America right now is going through what I've described as a, a micro spike in housing prices, yeah. affecting most of the country, certainly affecting me locally here in, in Rochester. But Toronto has had, specifically Toronto, and I know Canada in general, but specifically Toronto has had the biggest real estate spike of just about any market in the world over the past decade. So, you know, more, more yeah. a joke than anything else. I mean, do you have any tips for us? It's, I, I'll give us some tips, but also like just to give you an idea of how crazy it's getting. Yeah. In by 2026, it's projected the average house price in Toronto for a single detached house will hit $3.5 million, which is insane to me. Like, you know, most the that, so, Already, like at a million dollars, most people, well, I can't say most, a lot of people don't make that much in their lives. It's mm -hmm. kind of at the tipping point, you know, many people will, will make that much in their lives. In my opinion, it's still a crazy percentage of your lifetime earnings to spend on a house, but at 3.5 million, it's just like very yeah. few people. Yeah, it's like the, only the top, you know, 5% or 3% yeah. or 1% are going to be able to even think about living in a house. Now, my, my assumption there, Brandon, I mean, that stat is maybe for like Toronto proper. And yeah. once you go, but the problem is if you want to go find an affordable house, now you're living 45 minutes away or an yeah. hour away. And it's kind of like you're priced out of living close to work. Exactly. So the trade that you have to think in your head is, well, do I want to put a two hour commute just so I can live? I mean, I maybe remote work will help solve some of that. Yeah. You know, fingers so crossed. My thinking and my approach, like as I think about buying a house in the next, you know, maybe five, five to six years, mm -hmm. is I'm on the side of working remotely and, you know, living somewhere fairly remote. Um, I think it's a, it's going to be a big lifesaver for many people in places like Toronto and I'm sure many parts of the U.S. Um, what I what I hope will be a, sh a shift to remote work for a lot of people. Now I know. You know, like lower income people, that's not always an option. Like, you know, people work in general labor. Um, whereas in, like, I, I have the luxury in terms of my career, what I'm doing, where I can basically work from anywhere. Um, so that's my thinking. Now, at the same time, I know a lot of rural places are getting flooded with, with, with Toronto people now. So the prices are, are going up there anyways. But yeah, yeah, it's tough to escape. You know, the other thing, so so one tip I would say is consider relocating, you know, and let me actually build on that. So I used to, when I, when I was working downtown, I used to commute, like it would take me a couple of hours every day on the subway. Now I live in Toronto, like the actual city, mm -hmm. and I'm spending a couple of hours a day on the subway because there's just so many people using it. Um, you know, trains are delayed and things like that. Whereas I could move, you know, an hour out of the city and driving takes me about the same time. So in terms of time spent commuting, there are different ways to look at it. Like, yes, your drive will be an hour long, but chances are if you're commuting in the city, you may be spending that time already um, okay. on the train and on the bus, things like that. Um, 
the other thing, you know, I think people have started to, not started, I'm sure it's been happening for a long time, but people really look down on renters and the idea of, you know, like renting a place, which, you know, maybe when houses were cheaper and a down payment, like you could get into a house for a down payment of like $10,000, $20,000, buying a house, like the case for buying a house was a lot stronger. Gotcha. Now that you're talking about, you know, like $50,000, $100,000 down payments on houses, it's like, you know, you're putting money that could be in your retirement account um, into a house that may or may not deliver um, a very strong return. And I know people right. will also jump on that because they say, well, like you can never go wrong buying a house. You'll always make tons of money, which in my opinion, and feel free to push back, um, it's just not always the case. You know, people don't think about insurance, maintenance, property taxes, all of these things, you know, making money on a house is not guaranteed. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, completely yeah. agree with you there. I mean, there's so many arguments to be made against it. So first off, if you want to go the anecdotal route, you could just point to the 2008 housing crisis and the bubble that led up to that and the number of people who assumed incorrectly that you can't go wrong owning houses and, and more or less had their personal finances torn asunder by the bursting uh, housing bubble. So there's that yeah. part of it. But then even if you go before that, back to say like, you know, the 80s or the 90s, and you look at the 30-year return on real estate, once you start accounting for, just like you said, the maintenance of the house, insurance, taxes, inflation, and you actually look at the real return, even if your house, say, doubles in value over 30 years, we can just kind of use the rule of 72 to figure out, oh, 30 years, that means that we, what, our average return was something like 2.5% per year, which isn't great compared to what you might be able to get in the stock market or through other investments. And then the last thing that I would add on to that is, okay, so your house doubled in price and now you're thinking about selling it after living in it for 30 years. You still have to have a place to live. Right. Right. So this house, your house isn't like this nice asset that you can just buy and sell on a, on a dime or, or maybe that's the wrong way of describing it. It's not an asset that you can sell without there being some other consequences involved. Exactly. So these Toronto people buying $2 million houses. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's going to be worth 3 million in 15 years. That's great. So now you sell your $3 million house and you, maybe the plan is you move out to, you know, Northern Ontario in the pine trees and, and you live your retirement out there. That, that is nice. But, um, you're probably not going to be sticking around Toronto because you're going to have yeah. to buy real estate that's equally as expensive. And I'd be curious, you know, how many people actually, uh, you know, how many people buy a house thinking, you know, I'll sell it in 10 years and move somewhere remote. I'd be curious how many people actually go through with that. Right. You know, your house is like one of your most, um, it's a key part of your lifestyle. And mm -hmm. so, you know, to grow accustomed to a certain lifestyle and then, move and make a radical change it's not easy and i think you know people expect it to be easier than it will be right yeah that's a good point i mean once you put down roots and build a community i mean i'm just thinking about myself like could i see myself moving maybe but um home there's a certain value to having a place that you call home whether it's the house itself or whether it's just the community that you live in and yeah i agree with you it's it's it can be tough to leave home for yeah. sure. 
So I think renting is, is, is an underrated alternative. You know, there are people who, like I, I read a great article on CNBC, um, you know, in some markets, if you rent and put everything you would have spent, um, like all, all the, you know, maintenance and the home insurance and the down payment, if you put that in the stock market, you'd do better over the long haul than mm. you know, if you bought a house which there are many reasons to buy a house still, even, even if you want, like, if you want to do that, it's, there are advantages, but if you're talking strictly financial, um, there's the whole other side that people don't really think about. That gets back to right. The rent versus buy question really does come down, at least from a purely mathematical financial sense. Like you just talked about, there's this opportunity cost that uh, if you want to, the math isn't, terribly complex and there are probably some out there i know there are some online calculators to help you out but yeah it, in a lot of markets where the housing prices are really high and the the rent to housing multiplier uh bears out the fact that yeah just like you said renting absolutely can make financial sense if you're if your market if your ha- local housing market is too hot all right brandon so we were just you know on the kind of topic of real estate as an investment I was hoping I could ask you, just out of curiosity, if you don't mind sharing, what's your investing strategy, both in terms of assets and timelines, and don't feel like you have to divulge any any secrets or anything that you don't want to divulge, but just for the listeners, I mean, how do you invest your money? Sure, yeah, happy to share. So um, as I mentioned earlier, I invest with an app called Wealthsimple, and what they do, it's a robo-advisor. So they take my money and put it in index funds, um, which is, to me, just super easy. I spend five minutes a month really thinking about my portfolio and it performs really well. Um, so basically what it is, it's, it's, you know, US based index funds like VTI on the total stock market, um, Canada, which is the other big chunk, and then international and emerging markets. So it's diversified. I, I used to be, you know, when I managed my own portfolio, I used to focus strictly on North America to Canada and the U.S. Okay. And performance was good, but I found it a bit more, stre- a, a bit stressful to manage my own investments. And I was constantly doubting the choices I made. Like, you know, why, why VTI and not, um, you know, SPY, which is the other uh, broad-based, uh, broad, broad U.S.-based fund. And so it was just a lot easier for me to switch to a robo-advisor. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So those those four funds, I think it was four funds you listed out. Those are all stock funds, though. So at this point in your life, just because you are young, yeah, you're kind of thinking. So it, I do have, and um, one of our, our mutuals, David, is going to yeah, is going to kill me for this. I have <laughs> uh, so it's ninety percent stocks and ten percent fixed income, which includes some bonds. Um, which honestly, if I had the option of going hundred percent. Uh, with the with Wealth Simple, I would, but I've I read their explanation for why they they keep you at ten percent, and it's it's fair, like you know, just so I, I leave it there. I'm still doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I I too own about ten to fifteen percent. I forget the exact number, and it fluctuates depending on market performance, right? But somewhere in that range is my bond allocation as well. Yeah, and yeah, maybe at some point we'll have David on here <laughs> to, to to so he can talk to about uh, about his his thoughts on bonds. And yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I I understand his opinions on bonds. Uh, in case you can't tell, listeners, this mutual friend David of ours is quite anti bond. 
Um, and my argument against against David would just be that yes, bonds look bad right now with interest rates so low that the natural return on bonds is is fairly low. And if interest rates go up in the future, that the the price on current bonds is probably going to go down. Um, but basically, if you look back in history, there has always been a cyclical relationship between bond performance and stock performance. And stocks go up and down. And generally, the, there's an opposite correlation, whereas if stocks are going up, bonds are going down. If stocks are going down, bonds are going up. And diversification between the two has generally led to a more uh, a more stable portfolio that still yields, has very good performance. Yeah. Um, and I think we've gotten used to, and it also relates to, to housing, you know, we've gotten used to 10 plus years of super low interest rates, um, where it's not necessarily always going to be like that. No, I think for the foreseeable future, yes, interest rates will probably be pretty low, but they do rise and there have been moments in history where they've been very low and they've risen again eventually it's not you know we're not permanently it's not a low interest right it's not a law of nature that interest rates have to be low exactly i I completely agree with you um so we'll see and 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 part of it i I don't know it sounds like you feel this way too brandon but i don't want to put words in your mouth part of it is just a little bit of humility at least for me to say I don't know enough to plant my flag in the ground and say bonds are dumb and I am not going to invest in them. Yeah. Um, I can, I can, I can recognize David's argument and say, yeah, like bond returns are pretty low right now. And rather than having like a traditional say 60, 40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, I'm going to go 90, 10 because bond performance is kind of bad. And I'm also really young. So I'd rather be invested in stocks, which generally yeah. have a better, uh, better performance than bonds. The, but, uh, the argument from Wealth Simple that made me like because you you can contact them and say and, and you know try to set up a custom portfolio of 100% stocks, mm-hmm. but what stopped me from doing that was um, you know I, I just said you know what it's also like a stress reliever you know if the market falls like 50% which is what happened about a year ago mm-hmm. you'll how you'll always have that chunk of bonds that's just not really moving. Um, and it's it's just that like you, even if you just see your portfolio fall a little bit less than it would have otherwise, it's it's helpful. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like if if I had to guess wealth simple because it is a robo advisor, does it do some rebalancing for you? Yes. And that was okay. the big thing actually. Um and I'm not plugging wealth simple in particular. No, by the no, but <laughs> you're fine. There are so many different robo advisors um to use. But the the concept Robo advisors in general, one of the uh, most attractive features to me was the automatic rebalancing because I am a very, I don't want to say OCD because it minimizes people who have OCD, but I am um, very, very particular. Like, sure, sure. So when I saw portions of my portfolio going out of whack, it would bother me so much. <laughs> I would be going around thinking, is it too far out of whack? Should I be selling and, and trading things back down? Um, and so just have, just knowing that it gets taken care of yeah. automatically is so helpful for me. That's excellent. Um, you know, and, and the, the thing I, I came back to is that I couldn't see myself you know, managing my own portfolio and stressing out about things like that for mm-hmm. 40 years. 
right. which is what you, you know, like you want to be in the market for a long time. Right. And so I needed something that was simple and it wouldn't um, stress me out. Like I, I can invest like this for a hundred years if I had to, because there's no stress. Yeah, that's excellent. I, uh, I've been known to say that an optimal investing strategy is one that has the best ratio of success to stress, right? Success in the numerator, stress in the denominator. So if you can drive that stress low, then your ratio is going to go really high. And I, I think personally, that's a great, a great way to be. Um, so it sounds excellent. I mean, right. I've certainly looked into robo-advisors. I think they're phenomenal. I think they're phenomenal. And for you American-based listeners, there are plenty of robo-advisors out there. If, 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 I don't know if Wealth Simple services uh, Americans were not, but they, they do, don't. but I okay. think you guys have some more enticing options. All right, Brandon, with that, I was thinking, let's go into the rapid fire questions or feel free. They can become slow pitch questions as well. There's no rush here. Um, but the first one is what's the S&P 500 going to do in the next year? So personally, I think it's going to be tremendous because especially in the, in the U.S., things are opening back up again. You know, vaccine rate is pretty good. Um, and so, you know, the markets tend to be short sighted in that people aren't going to think about, you know, okay, the economy fell so far. We're just kind of getting back to where we were. People are going to see, you know, like 20% growth in various things like employment, and they're going to hype that up, which is just how markets seem to work. Gotcha. Okay. So you think when you say people there, are you thinking like retail investors like you and me? Retail investors, news, you know, it's like you always see, it's it's always a numbers game okay. and like a, a perception game. You know, you like the market could fall 50%. And if it rose 20% the next day, the headline would be market rises 20%. Right. So right. I, I just think that's what we're going to be dealing with for, for this year. Now, that's a good point. I mean, the, the great thing about that question, not to toot my own horn, is just how so many answers make so much sense. And like I hear your answer, I think it makes so much sense. Um Personally, I was asked this question. This question was thrown back at me about a month ago. And I went with, I believe I went with down 7%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was mostly just to have some fun and, and to create some conversation. Yeah. But I went with uh, the idea that I think a lot of the optimism in the market is, is already priced in. And I think a lot of people, once, you know, once news of the vaccines kind of came out, say, six months ago, And once numbers started dropping, once jobs started coming back, I mean, the stock market has just been ramping and ramping and ramping up these past few months. And I'm just worried that the slightest little hiccup might have people realize like, ooh, we've been way too optimistic. Now, Um, I think one factor that definitely could push things in that direction is interest mm -hmm. rates. Like if there's any indication that interest rates will rise, yes, like stocks are just going to crater. Right. That's exactly right. And so for you listeners at home, at least my my kind of amateur economist understanding of it is when interest rates are low, borrowing money is really, really cheap. And what do people tend to do when they can borrow money for cheap? And this is kind of like institutional bank type people. Well, a lot of them pump that money into stocks. Um, And then so as soon as borrowing money becomes more expensive, then there's less demand to buy stocks. And kind of when you look at supply and demand, if the demand drops, the price drops as well. So I think Brandon, you're right. I think you're kind of nail on the head there. 
Uh, that's why a lot of people look at Jerome Powell, whatever it is, every three months to see what the interest rates are going to do or what he says they're going to do. All right, next question. What's the last material object or personal luxury, or feel free to answer however you'd like, that you spent $100 or more on? So I spent $650 on a chair, an office Ooh. chair. <laughs> and you know, for months, if not a year before, I was using this generic Staples chair. And I have the, I've had this experience a couple of times. I buy a really cheap chair from Staples, not, not exorbitantly cheap, like 150 bucks. And it falls apart and my back is just killing me. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so I decided, you know what, I, I looked at, I looked to see like, what's the best chair you can buy? Like if, you know, when money's no object, what chair do, do people get? And it was um, this particular chair I got, which is the Herman Miller Aeron. I, I bought it used for 650 bucks and I have zero regrets because my back feels amazing. That is awesome. I think it was best interest founder, Benjamin Franklin, who said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, which in 2020 terms, I think is a $650 chair is worth $6,000 in future chiropractor appointments. Exactly. <laughs> I think that was Ben Franklin. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of vaccines, what is your end of pandemic celebration going to look like? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, because I feel like it's so far away. It's so close yet so far away. Um, it will involve travel for sure. Um, I had been used to for the for the past few years traveling to the U.S. a couple times a year, okay. and of course didn't get to do that since uh, 2020. Um, like Washington D.C. is is on my list because I'm a huge history buff. So nice. Probably my first uh, trip across the border once COVID is over will be to Washington. Cool. That's very cool. One thing. Speaking of history buffs, I don't know when this flip really switched in my head, but kind of growing up as a kid, you know, you take the field trips to the museums and, and that kind of stuff. And it never quite sunk in for me, whether it was like a natural history museum or an art museum, I just kind of looked at the stuff on the wall and kind of shrugged my shoulders. But at some point in the past few years, my whole perspective on museums has changed. And now I am just, I think they are the coolest, one of the coolest kind of public arenas that we have, whether yeah. it's art or just old stuff. I, I'm flabbergasted by it. I think it's so cool. The switch happened for me. I went to, like, I never thought of myself as a museum person at all, but I was in Austin, Texas for about a week. And, you know, when I, when I was planning the trip, I just said, you know, I'm going to eat barbecue for a week. That's all I'm going to do. <laughs> it's then, not bad. It's not a bad idea. One day I, I said, you know what? <laughs> I can't just do this for the whole week. I got to go do things. So I went to a, uh, I went to the state Capitol, which is basically like a museum. Okay. Um, and then also an actual museum. And I was like, you know what? This is really cool. You got a bunch of artifacts. And so that's when I became a museum person. was in Austin, Texas. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. I uh, about a month ago, I found myself in the um, the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. Or here's a good trivia for your listeners: in Pittsburgh, they don't pronounce it Carnegie; they pronounce it Carnegie, and that threw me off. I'll tell you what. <laughs> but I went to the Carnegie, yeah. the Carnegie Museum, and they have, um, I believe, if I'm getting my trivia right, 
It is the last painting that Van Gogh painted before he died, or it might've been the second to last painting. And it was just so interesting just sitting there. It's like a beautiful kind of French valley landscape painting. And just to think like, yeah, that guy's paintbrush was on this piece of canvas, whatever, you know, 250 years ago. I might get my my dates wrong there. Yeah, it's just so cool. And and yes, it is very beautiful, right? The art is very, it takes a ton of talent. Anyway, that's awesome. DC, great answer. Um, okay, Brandon. So you're you're a young guy like myself. What's your go-to for a simple and delicious meal with bonus points if you cook it yourself? Yeah, so it's not super healthy, but <laughs> I, I love making you know different types of pastas. So um, I mean, it's it's not even that complicated. I just make ravioli and, and use really nice sauce. <laughs> That's my secret. Hey, quality ingredients makes for a great meal. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. I could use ravioli. I'm a, it makes me a little hungry right now, actually. I have to go eat some <laughs> dinner after this. Um, next one. What's a good habit that you're trying to form? Speaking of habits, James Clear. One good habit you're trying to form or a bad habit that you're trying to break? So right now I'm learning web development and I have a really bad habit of you know trying to solve difficult problems at like 10 o'clock at night okay. and then I end up you know pushing into like one o'clock in the morning getting six hours of sleep so I'm trying to uh, build the habit of pacing myself a bit more and nice. <laughs> timing nice. my day a little bit better that's not a bad that's not the worst bad habit I've heard but I can yeah. understand you said web development so as in like kind of building the back end of a website exactly is that yeah. right so I'm one thing I mean I really like the look of your website brand and I think I hope I've said that to you before if I haven't um did you do have you done some like custom work on your own website nothing you know extraordinary like I've, I've okay. messed with the CSS and, and things like that um just kind of tweak things but it's pretty much an out-of-the-box theme um that I bought for a couple hundred bucks Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it looks, it looks good. And one, one thing that I have been looking at recently is kind of changing the theme of my blog, just to try to bring it up a level into some of the more modern looking websites. And uh, yeah, Rinky Do Finance is definitely one that I look at and has that kind of modern website feel. So, so good work there. Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, all right, last one. It's an exciting one, Brandon. What message would you put on a billboard to share with the world? What would you uh, say? I think this is the Tim Ferriss. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know it what? Is. I, 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 funny story. I was listening to like, uh, I don't know what his position was at Walmart, but one of the executives, one of the Waltons, okay. and he, he his message was like, shop at Walmart, just something. Oh, what a sellout. <laughs> just something okay. super, yeah. uh, <laughs> super obvious like that. Um, so if I had to put something on a billboard, it would probably be to, you know, just the two words, ask questions, because, you know, you can gain a lot of insights from other people, you know, by just asking questions instead of always trying to, you know, put your ideas out there and see what mm-hmm. happens. If you mm-hmm. just start from the, the standpoint of asking questions, you'd be surprised at, you know, what can happen. Right. That's phenomenal. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, I think Socrates had the whole Socratic method, which was mostly, mostly question-based. It's kind of like, if you want to teach someone, uh, or even if you don't want to teach someone, but one of the best things you can do is ask people questions to kind of guide them down a path and let them find the path for themselves through their answers. 
rather than dictate to them kind of here is the path and this is what you must follow. And one um, of the best books I read in the last year, it's uh, Chris Foss's book, Never Split the Difference. It's hmm. you know, similar. It, the, I would say the core thesis of the book is similar. Like you want to lead people in negotiations to gotcha. arrive at conclusions for themselves. You don't want them to agree with you because at the end of the day, they're going to resent you for you know putting ideas in their head. You want to sort of guide them along and, and gotcha. let them take control of their own thoughts. And interesting. If yeah. they arrive at your conclusion, that's great. Interesting. And that's the Chris Foss. He's I recognize he's the FBI, former FBI yeah. negotiator, like master negotiator. It's a really great book. Yeah. Cool. Never split the difference. Okay. I'll I'll try to throw a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, Brandon. And and last but but certainly not least. How can people reach you? Probably the best way to engage with me is on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Rinky Do Finance. Um, I have so many great conversations with people on there. It's become a, a nice little community that we have. So you can always um, hop on there. I try to ask lots of questions, like open-ended questions throughout the day so people can respond and let me know what they think. Um, so I'd love to I'd, I'd love to get some additional perspectives from your audience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I say you're, you're being, you're, you're underselling yourself there because yeah, you ask phenomenal questions all the time and, and it shows, I mean, I feel like uh, you get as much interaction as anyone I see on Twitter. And it's because you ask great questions and you, you respond with great answers when other people have questions for you. Um, so yeah, listeners, if you are a, a twit and by that, I mean a person who uses Twitter uh, I highly recommend following Brandon at Rinky Do Finance. And uh, yeah, Brandon, for, for people looking to reach out to Brandon, I will throw your Twitter and your, uh, your Rinky Do Finance website in the show notes. And with that, Brandon, can't say thank you enough. Really appreciate you coming on the Best Interest Podcast today. Thank you very much. It was a very uh, pleasant conversation. All right, guys, it's Jesse again. First off, another huge thank you to Brandon. If you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, I suggest you check out rinkydofinance.com or on Twitter at rinkydofinance. I will throw Brandon's information into the show notes because he is a great person to follow. Second, if you enjoyed that conversation, and especially if you're a, if you're a listener and, and you've heard the monologues that I give, if you like the interviews better, please let me know. I want to produce the content that you guys want to hear. And if the back and forth uh, interview is something that you enjoy, I really hope you'll let me know. And third, if you enjoy the content, if you like the Best Interest Podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving me a rating and review. The reason why is quite simple. It's because it helps me build this small business. It helps me build this project to a point where I can produce content like this all the time for you. And that is my goal. And I hope you know you can always reach out to me with any questions you have. My email is jesse at bestinterest.blog. The blog itself is bestinterest.blog, and there's a page devoted to the podcast on there. Or you can always reach out to me through Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore jc. I really enjoy investing in your knowledge. Why? Well, because Benjamin Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And I think I have your best interests at heart. And with that, everybody, a heartfelt thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode number 10 of the Best Interest Podcast. Podcast.